And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing very well. I, I'm trying to remember the last time we did a mailbag episode. It's I'm been pretty, a while for me oh, and you. Definitely been a while. I want to say the last season, not 2022 season, 2021 season. I remember we did one. Like I came on on like a Monday show or something like that. And it's been a while. I'm excited, though. I'm excited to hear from everybody, especially this time. We got free agency, draft, uh, maybe other pent up takes that people have. So I'm excited to see this. I love mailbags. They're great. We got a couple of different sorts of questions that we're going to address over the next month or so. I responded to some of you via email. Some of you, I have not. We got a couple Steelers questions. We have an idea that's coming later this month that I think we'll touch on the Steelers. We got questions about kind of the middle part of the draft, some teams in there that don't get a lot of publicity. We're going to talk about them on a show a little bit later. A couple position-specific questions, receivers, tackles, that kind of stuff. We have a receiver show coming that will run on Monday. We have an offensive line show next week that will run later next week. So a lot of this stuff is going to naturally happen. I lean away from the mailbag simply because it's like, oh, I want to come up with a, a really good idea, you know, like yeah. a really good, interesting idea. But then when we do them, the questions are always so good. And not only do they allow the listeners to kind of get a say in the show, but they get my gears turning as well. Because some of the questions are well posed or they seem simple, but in actuality, there's a lot more to dig into. So as always, just blanket statement. Thank you to everyone who took the time to send something in. Like It truly does mean a lot that you would take time out of your day to like ask us these things and want to be a part of the show. So thank you to everyone that did that. It always means a lot. Uh, so let's get to it. Kent, you want to roll our first voicemail here? Hey, Robert. Hey, Nate. Big time, long time listener, first time caller. I wanted to ask about the teams that didn't have gigantic needs in the draft or free agency, right? An example is say, the Eagles offense or the Chiefs offense when, you know, maybe a little bit of turnover, some tweaks here and there. What are those teams really focused on in terms of, obviously there's a lot that worked in 2022, but you can't just run the same offense back out on the field uh, in 2023. Uh, so what are the things that those teams are focused on in terms of making tweaks, making, making adjustments to continue to do the things that work while also adding new wrinkles, uh, keeping things fresh, really focused on the offensive side of the ball, but we'll be curious to hear about the defense as well, if you both have a perspective on that. I, I wanted to talk about this because I think the idea of needs every offseason is interesting on its own, and how you think about need and how you chase players at quote-unquote positions of need. The Eagle, I want to start with the Eagles for me, because you're thinking about what they would do at 10. And the different positions that they could go with, you know, in theory, do they have a need at corner because Darius Slay could be gone as soon as next year positions like that. But with them specifically, they just hammer these same 
high value positions over and over and over again. So the Jalen Carter news from this week, how he's not taking meetings with anyone outside the top 10. Well, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's because Howie Roseman said to Drew Rosenhaus, listen, if he's there, we're going to take him because wouldn't that make a ton of sense? Javon Hargrave is gone. How long is Fletcher Cox going to be there? And the Eagles specifically, even if they're not quote unquote positions of need, and you could argue that defensive tackle is in a post Hargrave world, they just continue to stockpile players at these positions. They've done it with pass rushers. I wouldn't be surprised if they took another offensive lineman in this draft to kind of keep that assembly line going for when Cam Jorgens eventually moves over to center. Do they need a right guard of the future? Like the Eagles are almost an easy team to think about draft wise because it feels like you know where they're going to be throwing darts positionally. Yeah, and also, so hold on. I I took this question in a different a different path. Oh, all right, so I'm, 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 into, that. That. I'm into it. I'm into it. But I, I want to say I do love that aspect of Howie Roseman's team building is always builds through the trenches. Let's use a lot of draft capital on these guys because I like what you said, the assembly line. That's a big theory of mine. Um, of course, coming from my dad, who was an offensive line coach, he, his theory was always take one every year, not yeah. in the first round, but take what, you know, top three, four rounds, take a guy every year, just always have backups, always have a plan for these guys. But I uh, took this question as more of a self scouting question for coaches and all Interesting. That, okay. that aspect. Yeah. Um, so when the season ends, say you didn't make the playoffs, your team, usually the coaches will have kind of the year round meetings with their players, the head coach, the coordinator, the position coach, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then the coaches will get a little break and then they'll come back. And usually when they come back, it's a period of self scouting of review of not just players, but concepts. And so like, so I took kind of like the tweaking and the wrinkles and that kind of aspect of this question. I kind of went expounded on it uh they'll research concepts and, and grade them so like say just for instance i was just giving an example for what we had oh wow every time we ran out inside zone out of 11 personnel we sucked at it last year but every time we did it out of heavy personnel we were really good out of it okay so next year we got to remember when we're installing plants that we're better at this aspect oh we're, we're losing our right guard though and he was really good at this cutoff so make sure we go and so it's just learning what you're good at and narrowing your focus but I always, I also think this is a really interesting time. This is where the copycat of the NFL comes is teams will start presenting ideas or maybe the quarterback coach has a cut up of all the cool plays he saw in the past year. And it's like, hey, this is good for our personnel. I just saw the Cowboys gashing teams with this play when we were scouting them going against the defense that we played against. Man, we, we should maybe install that because that would be good for a quarterback or a running back or a receiver or offensive line. But also this is where plays get stolen from the college level. And this is my favorite thing. And this is the best example I'll ever have about this is the all-go running back scene play. Mm -hmm. And I've referred to this on the podcast before, but this is a great example with this question of how teams find tweaks and wrinkles. So when Carson Wentz was a prospect, everybody also is watching North Dakota State film. And North Dakota State's a very successful program, but and they also did a lot of they do a lot of stuff with tight ends and fullbacks. And so teams are watching Carson Wentz and they're scouting him and also North Dakota State's gashing defenses with this play. All go running back seam, which is four verticals. The running back or the fullback will be the guy running up the seam. The team that stole it first was the Chiefs. They watched it, and it was Brad Childress as the spread analyst or whatever his term, uh, his yeah. title was. College watcher, essentially, was yes. his job description. And he's like, he was like, I actually asked him about this when we worked at AAF. That's a story for another time. He looked at me like, who told you that? It was like, well, kind of put two and two together yeah, where yeah. you guys were the first ones to run that play. And so they watch it and then other teams are like, Hey, that's pretty good. And all of a sudden you see the Packers running it. We ran it with the Raiders. You see all these teams kind of picking it and like going like, that's a good play. 
but teams just start cherry picking other ideas. So that's what I looked at right here is this time period before the prospect watching happens, the end of January to about the middle of February before the combine hits is it's a self-evaluation period. Everyone does it differently, but it's a lot of meetings, a lot of like presentations and packages of plays and stats about what, who was good at what, and what concepts were good. But this is the time period that they do that, where they tweak it, at least offensively and where I've been, um, everyone does it a little different, but I do know this is a big self-scouting period. And I think that you can do that and refresh your ideas with personnel as well. Think yep. about what the Eagles did last year with AJ Brown, where it's like, okay, if we're going to evolve and take a step, that's obviously a big one, right? Like yeah. that, that, that's a very clear one, but the chiefs, it was a little bit subtler in the sense they lost Tyree kill. So they have to figure out this version of their offense. So now how does personnel or personnel additions potentially shift what the chiefs mm-hmm. offense is going to look like next year? Right? Like, I think I saw that Quentin Johnston took a visit to Kansas city is like one of the teams he visited with this year. So like, okay, you drop a skill set like that into what you're doing then what does your offense become? So I think that that's now a question for both of these teams is if you add one, two more guys here in the draft process to what you want to be on offense, how does that kind of push on your evolution to the next phase of things? Yes. And the good teams are the best at this, of course, and the best play callers, the most creative play callers and play designers. And no, that's a, that's a great, great example. Or you're losing a guy that, you know, I'm just making up one. I don't know this personally, but like the bills, they lose Cole Beasley, you know? And then now it's like, well, can't really run those choice routes that we ran every single snap. Like we can't do that anymore. So how are we going to hodgepodge? Do we have another guy that we can drop in that can maybe do that route now? Let's study him. Do we think that's okay? Now we got to get to the personnel department. We don't think receiver X can do that. So, Hey, we, we might need to target a guy in the draft. Can we lean in that? We really want a receiver in the draft. You know, this is where this kind of process starts, but your example getting brought up of who you drop in and what you study and how teams use these guys. This is where this this comes from, is this time period when teams are studying other teams and studying players. And it's this is where the spark of creativity happens. It's really fun. And you can see what teams are really good at it, Andy Reid being one. Uh, the Chiefs example is great, too, with their run game. The end of 2021, they started tweaking the runs, and we we're starting to see it. And then we got to see that in 2022, the 13 personnel, with the three tight ends. It's because it's something they fell into at the end of 2021. So it's kind of cool what you see they trim out and uh, expound on. All right, next one here. Nate Christensen says, my question is related to Nate's scouting background. During a season, scouts for the draft are working through the college football season, but NFL coaches obviously don't have time to watch all these prospects. My question is, how does that process work with coaches? As soon as the season is done, how are coaches given guys to watch? How much input do they have on draft selections and evaluations? Are there any cool stories about a coaching and scouting conflict? Because I would love to hear them. This is all you, buddy. Uh, uh, This is a very fun question. Uh, Every team is different. I will say that. And every situation is different. Some teams are great. Not much to say great. There's give and take with this of having the personnel and the coaches work hand in hand with everything. Some like it's siloed and where they don't interact at all. That's a very old school line of thinking. That's a Patriots have had that, you know, when Tate Skarnecki was on the show last year and even him, and he was a legend as a position coach and hearing how little input he had on the process and how late he came to it is fascinating. You compare that to a team like the Bengals where the, the coaches are part of the scouting Mm -hmm. department at times. So it's all over the place. It is. And like, even my time with the Falcons and they, they, they had a lot of Patriots to their ways of how they, they went about things day to day. All of a sudden Kyle Shanahan gets dropped in 
And Kyle likes a lot of say in his personnel. So that had to get molded a little bit and reconfigured a little bit. And same with Dan Quinn. He likes input. He comes from the Seahawks way of thinking where it's everybody's kind of hand in hand. So it is. And that was pers- very famously siloed before Dan Quinn got there. And yes. then they, I, I can't remember if it was him or Thomas Dimitrov told me that the carpet between the personnel and the scouting departments in Atlanta was not well worn. Before Dan got there. But then when Dan and Kyle were there, they had some very intentional meetings where the coaching staff kind of presented the players that they wanted. And that's something that used to happen in Seattle, but hadn't happened in Atlanta. So again, that's just, it's very different. A lot of different places. It is. And I got, I got a good story coming up about it. So I I do have one story. It's a personal story. So I'm I'm excited. It does involve Kyle Shanahan. So, uh, but yeah, personnel departments, what they'll usually go about is, uh, is all right. So I'm talking to the running back coach. All right. Here's 10 guys we want you to watch. Some of them could be the top end guys. Some could be the range that the personnel department is thinking that they might select a running mm-hmm. back. And some just be like, hey, we have questions on this guy. What do you think? Just get another data point in here. Uh, so at every again, every team's dynamics are different. Some, they might give a coach they don't really like, like five guys and go like, who gives a shit? What do you think? And I, I, that happens. And they might go, hey, offensive line coach, we value everything you say. Here's 20 guys. Could you grade all of them? And like, we're going to take what you say and really hold it and use that data point and really weigh it. Um, but that's just, you know, again, everyone's different. Every coach is different. But my what personal story. Is, what do you think is mm-hmm. the better way to do it? Do you think there is a better way to do it between those two approaches where there's a ton of coaching input or not a lot of coaching input? Because I can understand the upsides and downsides of both approaches. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, I do think coaches should have a say and in, in figuring out the ingredients. and But I do think it's up to the personnel, the decision maker to figure out how much to weigh each guy. Um, I've been around some coaches that are fantastic talent evaluators that like understand exactly weaknesses, what is actually coachable, what's not coachable. And I've been more often than not, most coaches are pretty terrible talent evaluators because, and I've made this joke before is because they think they can fix everything. Oh, well, that guy wasn't coaching them right. Da, 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 da. So you just have to weigh this. And this is, this is when you're the CEO of a team or just the GM of a team and the decision maker, that's something you have to evaluate and weigh in. I, what I liked what the Falcons did when I was there was every, you had your area scouts, you know, and then scouts above that, but every area scout also was in charge of a position. So the Southeast scout also was the cross check guy for the DBs. So then Explain he, cross checking. Um, so you have your area scout. So say you're the Southeast scout, you're usually watching all the SEC schools, some ACC schools, everybody in the Southeast area. Then there's going to be a guy above that. That's the regional scout. So you have West and East coast. So that's like a step above, you know, it's a rank and then they're going to cross check a guys above a certain grade. Then you have your college director who will cross check that. And they, 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 every, you're just getting more eyes on guys. And then you'll have your cross check with position. So like I said, that's Southeast scout, that's the area, but then he might have a position that he's the lead on and he'll stack and grade the guys how he thinks and, and rank them basically. Hey, I watched all hundred DBs. This is or all corners. This is how I rank the corners. And then they go into the meetings and present that. But those guys will then, what I liked with the Falcons did, and I think most teams do this, is then that guy, whoever the cross-check guy is, will then meet with the position coach. Hey, what do you like? Who did you like? Well, this is the guy I like. This day three guy I kind of like. What, what do you think about them? Bring some eyes to maybe some lesser talented guys or lesser graded guys or vice versa. Some highly graded guys that they kind of hold in high esteem. So that's what cross-check is. It's just you're getting as many eyes as possible and as much communication as possible. I did like that aspect a lot with the with the Falcons that we did. So then um, how from all of those different inputs does the actual board come to be? Uh, meetings. <laughs> it's well, right. you, it's meetings. You'll have your area or say, say that the running back cross-check scout. He goes in the meeting with the running back coach, usually the offensive coordinator, 
the head coach, and then the higher ups for the personnel department. So you have that, yeah, cross check scout. You'll have the director of college scouting, director of player personnel. If they have an assistant GM and the GM, they'll all be in that meeting with the head coach, everybody, and then they just start going through the the, the greats and they just start going how they stack each position. And some go rogue. You might have a guy that's really lowly graded, but then the powers that be go, well, we really like him. So he's on top of the board. So sometimes the grades just get ignored based on vibes, <laughs> based on what they like. And I understand that. Um, but my, that actually ties into my story uh, about Kyle Shanahan. And this is, uh, so like I said, when, with the Falcons, especially when I was there, it was very siloed. Hey, you know, you're, you're in personnel, be nice to the to, to coaches, but you know, keep it separate, you know, church and state a little bit. And, my office, uh, quote unquote office, it was a former uh, video closet that they turned into an office that was across from the break room. So the coaches all the time would be walking by and, you know, you don't, re- my role as scouting assistant, I was a grunt, you know, did some pro scouting as well, but they they would walk by, but they're like, Hey, this is, you know, Tice's kid, you know? So I know, I know this guy, even though they didn't know me. So they'd walk in and Kyle came in one time. He has his list of the 10 running backs that they gave him to watch and did it. And then he just goes, who do you like? And I was like, okay, this is tough. All right. It's, you know, it's Kyle fucking Shanahan. And then it's all, you know, I understand <laughs> rank and I understand it was a really tough spot. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I like this guy. I like this guy. And he goes, anybody not on this list that you like at the running back position. And I was like, oh, all right. Uh, all right. And I gave him David Johnson was one of them. I was a big fan of David Johnson. This is not to say like I was right about everything, but you, I, I have text messages to prove this pre yes. pre that draft. You were a huge fan of David Johnson huge. such that I took him in like the third round of my rookie draft in, fa- in my keeper league because like you a, liked two, him so much. A two year window where it was great. I looked it was really dominant. Smart. It was incredible. It was awesome. And he was one of the guys and I, he was not on his list of eight guys or whatever they had cross check, had him watch. And then he goes into the meeting that I just talked about where all these coaches and scouts are in the meeting and he starts talking about David Johnson. And then finally someone, one of the powers that be goes, Kyle, can I ask why'd you watch David Johnson? He was on the list that we gave you. And Kyle thought he was giving me an attaboy and goes, Oh, Nate Tice told me to watch him. Oh, <laughs> it was the worst thing that could happen for me. And I was like, it was good. Cause I kind of like, I had a good relationship with Kyle, but at the same time, it was just like, oh, I had some unhappy bosses that came by my off- <laughs> my quote unquote office that day. Uh, but yeah, that's my personal story. But sometimes interactions aren't, aren't the best, uh, even if it comes out positively. So I always bring up that one because it makes me sound decently smart and that I like David Johnson. So, <laughs> And right now, there are a lot of those draft meetings happening. You know, a yes. lot of the, like, the late stage ones. It, this is the time in the calendar when uh, you send out some text messages and not expect to be to get them back for several hours when people yes. come out of a hole. So it's kind of where we are oh, at the stage of the draft process ever. It's there. Like they're intense. Six hour meetings, man. It, yeah. There are times where you, you'll reach out to somebody like we got draft meetings. It's like, well, I'll talk to you. Talk to you in two weeks. You know, yep. that that's pretty much how this time is, which is always funny. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a... mm, 
real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. All right, next one here. Mitch Montbrian says... He said something very nice. I, I don't like reading the compliments at the beginning of the questions. I feel like it's self-serving. Mitch McBrien says, you guys got me thinking with how you talked about the mid-tier defensive backs contract handed out in free agency this year. Doesn't it make more sense to spend high draft picks and pay top-tier free agents amongst the defensive line rather than at defensive back? Here's my reasoning. D-line performance is much easier to predict from college to the pros from year to year as a pro. Two, the secondary is a weak link system. So even if you're strong across the board, except for one position, the opponent will pick on your weakest player. With this logic, doesn't it make sense to not be picking defensive backs in the first round, but instead build it like the Bucks did by taking lots of swings with day two picks? Hmm. I, what you thought about this? I uh, So I think as far as safety, hell yeah. Like, we'll, we'll wait until day two. Sure. That, okay. That, okay, that's where I'll start. I, I just did a, I did a quick little hand count before the show. 24 safeties last year got all pro votes, first or second team which I think is a hilarious number, by the way. By my count, only three of them were first-rounders. Minka Fitzpatrick, Derwin James, and Harrison Smith. Don't get me wrong. All, Harrison Smith was probably a you know token vote by name. But Minka Fitzpatrick and Derwin James, very good players. Both my first-team All-Pros, I believe. Um, as far as corner, uh, I go back and forth on this because I do think coaches have become better at not having the need for having that lockdown guy just based on what the systems are being used and the scheme. But... If you really want that true blue top tier corner that does change the math and make life easier for you, you kind of have to invest a first round pick. It, it's kind of been proven. There's not a lot of outliers and not being first rounders and being a good corner. Um, uh, yes, there's Richard Sherman, who is a like total outlier, fifth round pick and all that. And there's others, of course, uh, Norman and all those, Josh Norman and stuff. But the best players are generally the best athletes. As far as everything in size, speed, length, they're the ones that are the top of the spectrum for that. And those guys usually go in the first round. And that's usually what you have to find at the corner position. I understand the sediment here. I think filling out the rest of your roster, you don't need to always have those first rounders at safety, second corner and slot. But I think if you truly want a guy that's a true blue lockdown corner, you have to invest in the first round pick. But I do like this question a lot. I think that there are there is a certain tier of corners that excuse themselves from this conversation mm -hmm. and we can look at recent top tens and find two very easy examples sauce Gardner last year and Patrick Sertan yep. right what those guys can do and the fact that all right I can lock him on the backside one-on-one -on -one with someone and I can split my resources elsewhere that is in my opinion if you have a guy who you can trust to that degree 
then the weakling system argument becomes less important because now he's flipping the math in your favor. He's not just a piece of a whole. He's actually dictating the way that you can play defense. And so if you have one of those guys, and I think that Sauce, Sertan, you know, what Jalen Ramsey has been, you guys that are at the high, high end of it, then that does change it. I think that that tier is very small, yes, and it's not as consistent from season to season because we just don't see guys that are right there at the top every single year. Like what Jalen Ramsey has done over his entire career, he's the rarity here. A lot of the time cornerback performance can be really up and down and we'll see what happens with Sertan and sauce. But I have a feeling that they might be two of those guys that consistently stay in the conversation, you know, for the first four or five years of their career. And it changes that value proposition on the whole. I do tend to agree with this line of thinking because it doesn't matter where you drop Chris Jones or miles Garrett or, Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously Aaron Donald is his own beast, but these guys who are truly the top of the line sort of pass rushers, they exist independent of the things around them to an an extent, right? If you have better players around you, you get fewer double teams, all that kind of stuff. But Joey, Nick Bosa is going to affect the game no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I think that you could probably make that same argument for Jalen Carter and Will Anderson or even a Tyree Wilson, for example, right? So let's say you're the Lions and you're picking between Gonzalez or Tyree Wilson at six. I think it is much easier definitively to say that I Tyree Wilson relies on fewer things to be good than the corners we're going to draft in this situation. And I think that it is worthwhile to take that into account as you're making the decision. Absolutely. I, I'm always a believer in pass rusher, defensive line before corner and we'll get into this part of the conversation too. Is So I that's always something I've believed in as well, like you're saying, scheme proof, and that that's the best compliment you can give to a player. And defensive line, it's easier to be scheme proof just for the reasons you said. It's rushing the passer is rushing the passer. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's gonna be times where okay, this defense has me do a lot more twists and games, but you know you're generally gonna do the same things from scheme to scheme to scheme. Like it really is gonna be asked to do the same thing. So there's less kind of drop off if you're dropping a guy or placing a guy in from the, to the NFL level. Uh, but I agree with this wholeheartedly <laughs> i'm always a guy that builds through the line first uh that's so i think the defensive line too also it's easier just to translate some stuff college sc- scouting college dbs is hard <laughs> it's it's a really pressure hard rates are sticky man it's, pressure yeah, rates are often and sticky are, and from season to season they're sticky like it's just easier to predict who the best yep. pass rusher are going to be every single year i mean if you look at it season to season it's pretty easy to predict who's going to be the guy who leads the league in pressures or sacks, yeah. right? Like you and I, I picked Nick Bosa to be the defensive player of the year last year and to lead the league in sacks because he's the best pass rusher, right? right? Like, so, and Michael Parsons is right there. Like those mm-hmm. guys when healthy are typically going to be right at the top of that list. Corners, not like that nope. corners up and down and around. I mean, it's just a lot harder to be that consistent at that position. What's interesting to me is you said, I, I bid through both of the lines first, even though they're, outside players and skill position players, quote unquote, I think that receiver is more similar to pass rusher in that you can have an impact on your own, right? Like Jamar Chase is going to be good independent of who else is with him. So I think that's what makes it interesting on the other side is that I actually think that picking a receiver might be safer than picking an offensive lineman who's dependent on some of the guys around him. See that. uh, And that's what I always, it's hard for me with the receiver stuff because it, it, there's so much, so many dominoes have to fall before they can get the ball. 
Like they they need a good game plan. They need an offensive line that can protect the quarterback, and the quarterback has to get them the ball. Um, I've seen so many. I think the 2021 Bengals are just rotting my brain. It's I mean, but it, trust me, they have the Bengals have. Anyone's listened to the show for the last couple of years. The Bengals have done a lot to us. <laughs> good, like just a lot of thinking the in general even, because even the Eagles this year though. Even how quickly in some of those, like, all right, it's single high, I'm throwing it to the good guy. Like, I, I just think that yeah. there's a way for the process to actually get sped up when you drop that guy into the situation so you're less dependent on the other pieces around him. Yeah. Does that make I, sense? I think it's just, no, it absolutely does. And that's that's why I struggle with this because I tr- I grew up with Randy Moss. So I, I see what a guy like that can do for an entire offense, even without interchanging quarterbacks. I've seen him... Gus Farratt put up a perfect QB rating in a game with Randy Moss. Like, you know, I've seen like what they can do for whatever quarterback it's, it's, I think more what I, I think I just go on maybe like the average player logic or the average situation logic and what impacts more. And I think maybe just like having a competent offensive lineman just makes everything easier. And I know obviously a receiver is going to make passing the ball easier. I think it's more just the down to down thing that, that that's what I'm so hung up on. It's, I love this conversation because trust me, if this was three years ago, I wouldn't even be arguing with this. I would just be like, I'd be like, no, I'd be rolling my eyes on this, but it's just real. It's fun to see an example, like the Bengals being number one about how those pass catchers have overcome any weaknesses that they've had up front. So I don't know. I, I really just always looking at offensive line and always rejuvenating that. And then finally the pass catchers last. That's just, it's, just, it's a hard wired thinking that I'm going to have for a long time. <laughs> I also think that, this year's Dolphins are a, a, a point in the receiver category as well, where it's like we don't even notice the fact that the Dolphins' offensive line wasn't good for some stretches just, of this because of how fast the space was created that they had. Just give her the ball offense. within two and a half seconds, and it's that. I think that's another that's another great example though too is that for for points you're making is that those receivers make less time to throw more about like you gets the room for error. Now yeah. you don't need those guys to come open. So I do. Yeah. yeah there is. Yeah, but you there. also need like the quarterback needs to be able to make Get guys. The there. There's so many different things like, yeah. right. Like the, the dolphins had this perfect comp combination of receivers that just created all of this space. Like the dolphins offense is fascinating because yeah. in, when you think about what the, Niners are right. The Niners are this yak monster mm-hmm. where we're going to get the ball in these guys' hands and we're going to let them go to work. And what they do as playmakers in space, as runners, is a huge part of what we are on offense. The Dolphins' offense didn't have any yak because it was all space creation with yeah. the speed that they had, but it still is this. It's still the same idea where the playmakers are streamlining what your quarterback has to do so the decision making comes quicker and the offensive line become less important because you're not really dropping back and playing that same sort of style that some other teams are. The Niners have been able to get by with lesser offensive linemen. The Dolphins have been able to get by with lesser offensive linemen. The Bengals have been able to get by with lesser offensive linemen. Does that mean anything? Or are those situations so specific with the play callers, the coaches, and the quarterbacks yeah. those teams have that we shouldn't learn that much from them? I don't know the answer to that. I don't either. But- it, and that's the thing is like these, well, so that Kyle Shanahan, again, we're going to bring him up again on this show, is that he has made a system and an offense that is so O line and QB independent that it's so hard to kind of just go like, yeah, do that. <laughs> well, if Kyle's designing plays for me, yeah, hell yeah, let's do that. And calling and feeling setting up other plays. And, you know, it, with the, what the Dolphins have done, they've done kind of like a pint-sized version of that or like a Diet Coke version of that, but it's in their own way. 
Like they cranked it up and just went full on speed and just speed, 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 pure finesse. There was no, like, we're going to run it down your throat. They had like the one of the worst short yardage success rates in, in the league. I mean, like under 50%, which was like, that's remarkable um, because they were just say, screw it. We're going to, we're beating you with speed. So I know it's hard. Like the, again, the Bengals too. That's, that's the other thing too, is that they just throw go balls and have guys dunk on you. And it's great. That's fun football. It's, it's, it seems like it's like, why doesn't everybody do that? And it's like, yeah. That's what good receivers can do is they can kind of really help you out there. All right. One more part of this question from Mitch. He says, P.S. Nate, it sounds like Anthony Richardson is actually your QB one. You're just too afraid to be the first one to say it. What say you? A little bit. Yeah, I, I didn't put it. I, I, how, how did I present it? I said, <laughs> if my if my, my, my job ju- wasn't on the line, yeah. you would take him with the number one pick. Yes. Your job uh, isn't on the line. You can say I, it if you want I, to. I will. I will, especially where the Panthers are at. I mean, I watch more of these guys. I, I can't help myself. I'll just watch another game just out of boredom. Just be like, am I crazy? Am I crazy? And then, like, I watched him again. And I watched him, like, a crappy game. Like, uh, it wasn't South Florida. It was a different game. One of the only threw, like, 14 passes in. And, I like, the first three throws were all touchdowns. And he, like, ran for another one. I was like, yeah, okay. I, I, <laughs> it's kind of hard. It's, it's becoming harder and harder as the days go on to, like, argue against it. I did watch. I did a video on Stroud, though. And Stroud is very clean, man. You, you re, it's you take a step back. I've watched these guys like 17 times now. And every time I come back and I get back to the exact same spot, I'm like, Stroud's really clean. But Richardson, man, there's some upside there. I don't know enough about Ohio State's offensive system or mm-hmm. the way that progressions within that offense would work and with the talent he's playing with to be able to make a definitive statement about how good of a football processor CJ Stroud is like when things become a little bit messier and he doesn't have this talent advantage all right. of the time, what is he going to look like as a quarterback? I can't speak to that with any sort of certainty or authority, but as a thrower of the football, it's he pretty. is awesome. <laughs> I went back. I was trying to watch Jackson Smith and Jigba, the, the receiver show that we're going to be doing a little bit later this week yeah. for Monday. And I went back and I watched, I think it was the Oregon game from last year. Mm-hmm. And he threw a ball to Chris Olave down the right. I tweeted it out. And it was it was like a two high look before the snap. And they shifted to single high after the snap. And he had cover three. And he just immediately took the one-on-one outside. And he puts it on a line that doesn't allow the safety to get there. And it's just perfect placement. It's yeah. perfect placement. And he makes it look so easy. And it's just like, man. Again, just the, the pure throwing of the football is absolutely gorgeous. And I don't know enough about – I haven't sat in a meeting with him. I haven't yeah. seen his S2 test and any of that shit. But just in terms of how accurate and consistently accurate he is, it's wild to watch. I, I've underrated, too, his – because they it's not as um, loud, I guess is a good way to put it, or, or overdone like a theater kid with the protection stuff that he does mm-hmm. sometimes. Like, But he – He's better in that regard than maybe even I gave him credit for too, which is, that's a big thing for me because why I always bring that up too. I, I, I want to like go on a little rant real quick is because that's, you're almost basically needed to do that at the NFL level. So I want to see glimpses that the coaches in college go, okay, he can handle it right now. Because in college, if they don't, if you're supposed to be the best player on the field, if you're the quarterback going in the top 10 and they don't trust you any mental side oh that's it's just such a scary thing for me because it's like okay the college coaches aren't telling like aren't, aren't giving you that freedom yet and yes some of these guys are young but and when you see a young guy doing all that this is why i was so high on ritter 
Ritter was like freaking changing everything, changing plays, moving guys, changing protections. And I was like, oh, that's going to translate. That's easy. So maybe it's some old coach in me that I'm just kind of like, I need to see a little bit of that. And seeing more of that from him, I was actually, oh, that's pretty cool. Okay, but long story short, get into it. Yeah, I probably would go with Richardson at number one because just look at what the top guys look like in the quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Yeah, that's what you that's what you're aiming for when you pick these guys so high. So why not shoot for the moon? And it could change. And I get it. It's a risk, but I don't think it's as big of a risk as people have made it out to be. I agree with you, because I also think that the thing I feel like is the most difficult to change is how you feel the game. Mm -hmm. Right. How you see and feel the game. And when you watch him play, he clearly feels the game in a really natural way. Like there are accuracy issues, but that's stuff you can work on. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like we there used to be that kind of old adage that you can't make a quarterback more accurate. And I just don't think that's really true. I, I think that we've seen guys get more accurate as their training has changed and as they've become like professionals at this, like Josh Allen being the best example. And they work out for six months in the offseason. Yeah. yeah. And yes. And you're working with the best guys. I, I do. I do think that that is less of a concern than it used to be. But if you don't, if you don't feel the game well, that's something that I think is either innate or that's something I think is innate. I think you either have that or you don't. Yep. And when you watch him play, the pressure to sack stuff, how he yep. how he like maneuvers pressure, all those sorts of things. I feel like he does have a real natural sense for all of that stuff. And, and a lot of people too, I've noticed, and I get it. Not everyone's we're watching all this is, but people have said completion percentage equals accuracy. And I've realized, and that's why you need to watch these guys because even watching the Florida's offense, I tweeted his target map, and there's nothing under ten yards, nothing. That they barely throw because that was their offense. There was none of those gimmies, the bubbles, the screens, the the just slants, RPOs. They didn't run any RPOs. And so he didn't have that to lift up that completion percentage. He's only thrown the ball 18 times. All of them were heavy play action, launching it 20-something yards down the field. Yeah, no shit, his completion percentage is going to be like 55%. That's really hard to do. And even the process stuff, like you're talking about the feel for the game, you can see him trying to do the right thing and doing it with his clock. He was listening to his feet going one to two and finding the check down on the swing and doing it. And people are saying, oh, he's throwing all these balls in the dirt. I've, I've legit watched seven games now of this guy. I don't see that. Like, I really don't. I don't see where these sprays that people are talking about. Yeah, he'll have one or two. Every quarterback does. And he throws it so fucking hard. Of course, it's going to go past the guy and look bad. This, Justin Herbert has a spray every once in a while. And you're like, what was that? Justin Herbert also had accuracy issues in college at times. Quote, unquote. <laughs> and it's because they've have ran a vertical offense with a lot of sprint outs and stuff. Yeah. And so you got to look at these things and saw, I see him just throwing things. Anyways, I, I really just think there's less of that kind of like, wow, he has accuracy issues than people have like made it out to be. I don't think it's that big of a problem. I, I think the processing he's going to get there. He's already shown glimpses of the good stuff. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight? Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, next one here. Chris Prosher says, Greetings from Munich, Germany. Big fan of the show. Great to hear it every week. My question for the mailbag would be, what do you think will happen with Trey Lance? And Chris asked some things about the Texans, and I don't necessarily think that they're the best fit for him just because they're in a position to draft a quarterback high and you know, you're resetting your financial clock and you can kind of stay on that correct timeline. But on a broader level, I think Chris's interest in Trey Lance's future is not something we've really talked about a lot. Like, What do we think is going to happen with Trey Lance. And then beyond that, what do you think should happen with Trey Lance? Like, where do we stand on Trey Lance right now? I mean, they've only got, what, like four games out of him so far? And th- this uh, year, the two games he played, one was in a monsoon. Yep. Okay? Uh, and that yep. No one could move the ball. They, they lost know. to a Bears team that ended up becoming the worst team in the NFL. And the second game, he got hurt. So we like saw the first him. drive or the second drive. He got hurt. too. It was or almost was immediately. Going? Yeah. So we have the two starts from last year where he was yep. thrust into spot duty as a guy who'd had like 10 career games. Mm-hmm. And then we had a start in the pouring rain this year and the game where he got hurt. That that's what we have gotten from Trey Lance. <laughs> There's sample size, man. I, I I'm still in on him because he hasn't shown me enough to be out on him. Um, and I, that's, that's where I'm at. It's just, they're still paying off that trade. Like the, the credit card is still has payments on it. And that's what it's just is weird to me to also just go. Yeah. And again, the team of the show, Kyle Shanahan. Yes. He kind of does things to his own beat and, you know, like taking a guy that the scouting assistant told you to watch and then bring him up in the meeting. Like he does things like that. He does everything on his own. It annoys people, but it works. And so, but I just don't, it's so hard for me to fathom them just going like pulling the cord and going, yeah, we're done. Let's move on. See, it's, from him. it's not hard for me to fathom that. Oh, I know. I just, you know why? So this uh, today, I want to say somebody was talking about how Chris Mortensen was discussing the fact that the Niners traded up with Mac Jones in mind for, yeah. in that draft. And then eventually I think Peter Schrager was talking about, it was the second trip they took to South Dakota to work North Dakota to work out Trey Lance that ultimately swayed them in that direction. I would argue that's bad process, but yeah. no matter how you slice it, if Mac Jones was the kind of platonic ideal of what they wanted at the quarterback position, and their main argument for why they made that trade 
was we need to put ourselves in a position to draft someone because of Jimmy's health more than anything else. They found that guy. Mm-hmm. What, what they got out of Brock Purdy this year and what he is within that offense, the idea that I'm going to tell you to throw the football here. You are going to do it and you have a smidgen, enough off-schedule playmaking to you that you can do something when it breaks down a little bit more than Jimmy Garoppolo could. I think that's all Kyle Shanahan wants from his quarterback. I don't think he needs anything more than that. And I think the results that they got, plus the taste and the whatever taste he has for the position, I think that is the reason that they'd be willing to move on from Trey Lance. And the reason that John Lynch said publicly, like two weeks ago, that Brock Purdy is the leader in the clubhouse when he gets healthy to be their quarterback. So it's not surprising to me, even if when you consider the price tag, that element of it is shocking. That's what I mean. He does everything, uh, whatever. He doesn't care with that public perception of it. He's going to do it. And that's why I can't do that. Like, I would be like, no, no, I'm making this guy work. I don't have a job. But they, but they can, he can do that. He has that kind of collateral to do it. And the Purdy stuff, because I, I think I've seen people tweet these stats about it and, I, and, you know, just watching it is that he does attack vertically more than Jimmy ever did. Like he threw more go balls or vertical balls than like, in like four starts than Jimmy did in like a season and a half or whatever it was. And also the creation stuff. That's how I knew Brock Purdy was that he was chaotic. Uh, he was a captain chaos quarterback. Just let him run around and throw accurately. And apparently he's smart and they like it. So I get what you're saying that that's kind of maybe what he wanted just a little bit more. The thing for me right now, is that's those skill position guys are so freaking good and that defense is so good that anybody could look good in that offense and that's I, where... I understand that but this that those elements of it we thought eventually they were going to have to deteriorate yeah they have they got better though. they got better they haven't year. deteriorated those <laughs> guys are all back i know right i mean we'll see what happens with Ayuk and whether or not they can afford him into whatever next season is going to yeah. happen but right now they're going to get to run this back again yep. with that same group of guys and that i to- i'm totally with you that was my argument for why they should go after a guy like yep. Trey Lance i I've, I've said this 100 times Kyle that over a, like an 18 month span Kyle played Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl and lost. And it was just like, Jesus Christ. And then they played against Josh Allen on that Monday night in Arizona where the fires pushed them to Phoenix to play that game. And Josh Allen made like four or five throws in that game that are just like, fuck you throws. And I just had this sense that with those experiences in the back of his mind and seeing where the position was going, at some point during the process, then Kyle and the Niners brass were just like, all right, we need to get us one of these. Right. But then over time, you've seen that this formula that they've created, the one that he originally wanted to tap into with Mac Jones, is viable in a way that it might not be with other teams in the NFL, which I think is amazing. Right. They they just do everything on their own, man. Well, and this is another argument. You know, you're talking about the Mahomes and Josh Allen. It's another argument for Anthony Richardson, number one, (laughs) because it's like he has the possibility to be that guy to do those types of things that the the fire breathing dragon that you're going for. Yeah. Man, would you, if you were a team that needed a quarterback, Mm -hmm. would you take a swing on Trey Lance? Oh yeah. That's, that's what I would be curious to see. If you're a team that she's like, oh, we need to try something. I'm trying to think of what the best example would be like. So let's say this. Okay. Let's say the Titans get into a position where we just want to have a dice roll. Okay. What do you think it would take to get Trey Lance from the Niners right now? That's what I I don't know what the cost would be because they would for sure ask for a first rounder and they'll for sure ask for what two day, two picks. Oh, I, I see. I think 
I don't think they have a leg to stand on with that. They've publicly said that he is not going to be the starter. True. Or that he is not the favorite to be the starter. I think that they what have Jimmy, what did Jimmy G go for originally to them? Second a second rounder? Second rounder. I think it was a second rounder. Yeah. It's just one, right? Man. No, I would say they start with that first round, be like, hey, what pick eleven, man. Uh what, what do you think about there? And Rand just came from the 49ers. That's that's actually interesting as well. Um second round pick. Okay. Yeah, I, I would say a smattering of day two picks then. You know, obviously, yeah, like you said, the sunk costs of not getting that first rounder back. But yeah, probably a smattering of day two picks, which is where the 49ers are living at these days, apparently. So I, if I'm a team that is in a position like the Niners potentially are, Rand Carthen knows all about Trey Lance, right? So you can mm-hmm. connect the dots there. And I don't know if he likes Trey Lance, but yeah, if you wanted to do that. theory. I think that drafting a quarterback, and we'll get to them a little bit later on the show, what the Falcons did with... Desmond Ritter, mm-hmm. where you can use a third round pick on a quarterback and it allows you to kind of play it out on your own timeline. If it took a third and a fifth to trade for Trey Lance, it doesn't need to work out. Oh my God, You're essentially taking like a free dice roll. So yeah. I wonder if a team just tries to do something like that. A team that strikes out elsewhere and doesn't have any other low risk, high reward options or a young option. Do they try to get Trey Lance for a price like that? And would the Niners say yes? Are they in a position where they know he's not going to be their quarterback? They don't have a ton of excess draft capital, and maybe it takes a two, but is a team willing to give that up? I don't know. I think so. I, I haven't seen enough of him to not like him, but the yeah. Niners see him all the time, and they're, and like, they're eh. taking Brock Purdy over him. So I think that could be an important piece of data did, to take away as well. What did Carolina give up for Sam Darnold? <laughs> that's, that's, uh... It was a second and a fourth, I think. Yeah, we're starting there. I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah, if I'm the Niners, I'm not taking anything less than the second no, and the fourth that they like, pay the straight for Sam, Sam Darnold. Sam proved he's not be able to do this. At least Trey Lance still has that you know capital P word of potential that like he hasn't been ruined yet. So, man, that's just it's just so crazy to me. A year ago, we're talking about you. You, you talked to Yuschek, uh, and uh, we were just talking about this. How much easier it is to make those explosive plays and you know make it easier on the offense coordinator and the play caller just string together a couple huge chunk plays instead of string together a bunch of five, four, six yard gains. And then you watch this 49ers offense and they're like, well, we could call the exact same plays, but then just have really good skill guys. And those, what used to be five yard gains are now 30 yard gains and 50 yard gains. So they like created those explosive plays by just having really good players <laughs> That's as opposed to having the quarterback create those big explosive plays. So it's kind of funny that they found the equation, just found it differently than they usually did. The team, I think, actually, it would be really interesting. And I, I would have a feeling that they wouldn't want him in terms of like the type of quarterback that he is. But teams that are kind of backed into a corner and finding their next guy. If you're Minnesota. Yeah. And you trade out of the first round this year. Okay. You pick up an extra two in doing that. And then you have a four that you got in the Vikings trade, right? In the Lions trade. You gave a beer two. You got their four. Does that make right. sense? Vikings definitely, yeah. I mean, some team else? like some team like that. I mean, Trey Lance is still younger than Hendon Hooker. <laughs> he's a lot younger than Hendon Hooker. Yeah, Trey Lance is only twenty two. <laughs> he's only twenty two. I mean, we're actually he's just, he's dead. Uh, I mean, team like the Bucks. Uh, you know, yeah, it's teams teams like that that are just kind of in no backed land. into a position where they're in no man's man. The Titans probably aren't the best example because they used mm-hmm. the third round pick on a quarterback last year, and the Titans legitimately could be the worst team in the NFL this season, and yeah. they could be in a position to draft a guy next year. That's why. That's why. By the way, that there's rumors of them moving up, trying to move up for a quarterback. I'm like, what are you doing? What are so, you doing? <laughs> well, we we could talk. We'll talk. They're yeah. a team that I want to talk about. With yes, one of the yes, questions yes. We're yes, answer right. later. Okay. All right. 
Let's uh, Kent, let's get to our next voicemail here. Hey, Robert and Nate. My name is Jared. I am a fan of the Detroit Lions. So we've been thinking a lot about the quarterback and the quarterback position, especially with this draft here. And it got me thinking about uh, two different teams. One, the New York Jets, who have traded up to the top five and swung and missed on quarterbacks in the top five of the draft twice in the last five years. Uh, and so they are in desperate need of a veteran quarterback versus the Colts, who have taken the exact opposite route and not drafted a quarterback, but had got stuck on a veteran quarterback carousel. So I'm curious, when do you guys think it's appropriate to make that swing and, and get, you know, take a top five quarterback versus, oh, we need to go with the free agent route or get a veteran quarterback that way? So I, the way that I saw this, is that all those teams who I don't think it's an either or proposition. I actually think one causes the other. Okay. So think about all the teams that needed to go make a move for that veteran quarterback, Mm -hmm. the Rams, the bucks with Tom Brady, Russell Wilson with the Broncos, and even the Colts to a certain extent. And now the jets, they've only needed to do that because they tried to go the high pick route or high ish pick and it didn't work out. And with the Rams, you know, Jared Goff just runs its course. It's not that he failed, but you're like, we have run out of road here. Yeah. We need to upgrade. Okay. The Bucks, you draft Jameis, no dice. Titans are another really good example. I was just, I was, that was what I was waiting for. Same draft. They yep, draft Marcus Mariota. Doesn't work out. We need an off-ramp here. They did it, I think, as beautifully as anyone does has right. had that was to do it. You know, with, you know what was the second, by the way, the second pick they got in that trade, because they got a pick with Tannehill. That was, yeah, it was like a four. Oh, was it? That's that's really funny. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Hopefully that GM sells a job. <laughs> <laughs> so the Broncos miss on Drew Locke, and they have to go trade for Russell Wilson. They literally trade Drew Locke to get Russell Wilson. Yeah. The Colts have Andrew Luck, right? So theirs just right. didn't work out in that way. So that's why they had to get on the quarterback carousel. And then the Jets swing and miss on Zach Wilson. So that's why they're there now. So I think this is because you don't have an alternative in the top five of a draft, and that's why you're in this place. And that's why the Lions are – it's a little bit of a different conversation. I think eventually they will have to do the dismount. Eventually, I think you are going to run out of row with Jared Goff, and that's not an indictment of Jared Goff. No. It's just a statement on how hard it is to do what the Niners consistently do and why we're so in awe of what that formula looks like year in and year out. So I, it's just a matter of when you decide to do it. Yeah. And I just, it'll depend on who's there. But like if Anthony Richardson somehow is there and you like him, now feels like the natural time to yeah. do it. But I think it's looking more and more likely that he's probably not going to be there. So you just take the best player available. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It kind of gets their decision made for them yeah. a little bit. It, I really think that how I originally answered this question in my mind was, how you lose your last game usually brings clarity to what you want at the QB position. It's <laughs> generally it's how you lost in the playoffs, whether it's Jared Goff against the Packers, and it was like they couldn't complete a ball. They couldn't any gain running ball or passing the ball past five yards. I mean, remember that slog that 2020 <laughs> ran. I was there. I was so there. It, it was right, it was pretty were. it was pretty gross. Yeah. Oh my God. And they had such a fun defense. And so like that was, you know, that was like that's always in my mind. Um you know, the Colts, when they went, even after the luck stuff, and they went on this QB carousel because they thought the rest of the roster just needed that kind of like little, little cherry on top to like kind of lift them up. Didn't really work out for them. The Jets just started at zero with Darnold and then restarted at zero. 
there's nothing. There's and they no, were so bad that they could start the so whole thing over bad. again. There's nothing. There's no more sunk cost than a bad top end rookie quarterback or a highly drafted rookie quarterback because the opportunity costs, the reps you're giving them. I mean, so if you miss on that pick, it's devastating. You miss on a receiver early. We can hodgepodge this together. You miss on a guard. You miss on a tackle, defensive tackle. Okay, well, we can make it. Okay, he's only playing 20 reps, you know, as opposed to 40 or 50 quarterbacks out there every single play and throwing the ball all those plays. So it's kind of an Occam's razor a little bit. Like everyone's got kind of their their breaking point. And so it's like you're going to have to take the punch sometimes. I mean, shoot, the Chiefs moving up from Alex Smith to get Mahomes. You know, they, they finally were like, hey, this is the end of the road with Alex Smith. So we got to upgrade this position. So everyone kind of, whatever that last loss is, kind of leads you to that decision. Shoot. Just talked about 49ers with Jimmy G and then Trey Lance. You know, they were just like, ah, you know, like, okay, they, we don't really like losing this way. And yes, other things happen. But I think that's exactly what leads them to this decision making if they do want to take a swing on a guy. Texans with Brock Osweiler. Remember they whiffed out on him and then they're all right, get rid of him, package him so we can get some cap space. And then now we trade up for Deshaun. So it's like just everybody win those last losses. And when they reach the end point, that's when usually they have to make this decision. It's kind of, it is interesting though. It's about when you see the end of the road. You Dismounts. Know? I like your term dismount. That, yeah. That's, that's it. And I thought that the lions may be in a position to do that this off season, but there's an argument that they were too good on offense yes. last year with golf that, I don't think they feel the same sort of urgency or the walls closing in it's a quite like I thought they might. Yeah. But I, I still think if, if they were being totally honest with themselves, okay, the number three pick is there for the taking. Mm-hmm. Okay? You can call the Cardinals right now. I don't think there's a ton preventing you from doing it. You're at six now. You have an extra second round pick. You have two first round picks. They are that in a position, is- if they wanted to, to go get it right now yep. and get one of those three guys if you don't like Levis and if you do like the three guys. this is I hate having to do this every single time. This is all predicated on whether you like the guy. Exactly. It's, it, yes. You have to like the guy. But if you like the guy, if that's the precursor to this, it's there. Mm-hmm. You could do this. You could do the dismount a year earlier than you have yep. to. The walls don't have to be closing in. You don't have to, whatever fucking mixed metaphor you want to use, you don't have to get to the dead end, the end of the road. <laughs> you can get there a year early if you want to. Yeah. And I think the Lions are a playoff team this year, probably. I think their offense was really good last season with Jared Goff. But I think self-awareness in this moment is extremely important. It's probably never going to be as good as it's been over the last couple of years. Ben Johnson's going to get hired away. Like yes. All these different factors that could play into it. And so those changing factors, I think, would lead you to believe that the dismount is going to be necessary at some point. Why not take it when we're in the best position to take it? Yes. Why not take it when, when we actually have easy answers to find it? Uh, easier answers to find it. Why not do it now and rip the Band-Aid off now or, or make that push now? That. Yeah, uh, how you spell it out too, especially the number three pick being the Cardinals who already have a quarterback and are looking for assets to just rebuild this terrible roster they have. It's like, there's just a lot of stars aligning for that move. So it, it makes sense to, yeah, like you said, do it a year earlier than maybe they would have to originally. I wanted to acknowledge the question we got from Mason D'Arville, which is it's kind of a similar conversation to the one that we're having here. His was about trading back to acquire future assets to potentially tap into a future quarterback 
draft, right? Mm-hmm. So he said, am I, ta- am I crazy for thinking this is extremely risky and not sound logic? Throw the Bears out there because they're in a slightly different situation. But just look at the Lions and Seahawks. If their internal plan is to take a quarterback in the next two years, wouldn't it be, much a, wouldn't it be a much safer and sounder option to make a move for one of the guys this year? If you trade out of the top five or six to make a move next year, in my mind, you're gambling on two things. One, that situations don't change, no injuries happen, and these top guys continue to look the part. Two, that teams in a position to take those guys will even be interested in moving back for any cost. In the 2020 draft, there was a report the Dolphins offered the Bengals all three 2020 first-round picks, including five, and the Bengals didn't even entertain it. So I, it's a worthwhile conversation. Yeah. You know, and I think the Bears are particularly there. I think the Bears are positioned to do this very well because I don't know if those teams moving back are getting an extra one from somebody. You know, maybe they do from somebody coming out for the quarterback, but the Bears potentially could have the tenth and eleventh picks in the draft next year. Right. And you would you'd hope that and we I was almost going to go through this exercise, but for me it was too much work. What the top five could look like next year, and which of those teams could or could not need quarterbacks? Yeah, the Cardinals likely don't need a quarterback. The Texans likely don't need a quarterback. So I would hope that let's say Quinn Ewers becomes that third guy in this conversation, that somewhere in the top three there is a team that is not going to need a quarterback, right. and typically that does happen. Very yep. rarely do is that one, two, three fall the way that two, it does. Happened with two teams this year. Yes, and one two and teams end up, end up needing to draft a quarterback. So right. I think if, as long as you position yourself where you have the ammunition, where you know you can mm-hmm. go up to do it, then you're probably in a decent spot. But I do agree with Mason here that it is a little bit riskier yes. than I think some people make it out to be. Yes. Especially that, when you're already in a position to do it. Yes. <laughs> like yeah, the exactly. Are. And you already have done the process and have the assets to do it. Yeah, it, it is risky. Uh, I can say all I want. Oh, Drake May and Caleb Williams, who I do think are very, very, very good and talented players. You never know. Drake May lost his offensive coordinator. What, what does the new offense make him look like shit? And it's like, whoa, what was I thinking? Does Caleb Williams have another injury crop up? Does this kind of style? And it's like, oh, man, the size concerns. Maybe that's something we glossed before. You never know what weaknesses crop up. Sam Howell, before a year before last year's draft, so was projected as a top five guy by just about everybody. Everyone's like, oh, Sam Howell. Did you see him throwing launch of those bombs? Well, according everybody? to Washington, he still is. So Yes, if, yes that's exactly <laughs> It's their cannon, their head cannon uh, draft capital, not even the actual draft capital. Uh, but that's the thing is that it, you're already through this process and it's the one in the hand, two in the bush. You know, that's 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 really what this comes down to. And um, I, that's why I always think just accumulating those resources gives you the pivot points. And that's the term I always use. Cap space, talent, draft picks. That's all you're doing. You're just giving yourself ingredients to make a, a few different meal ideas. Because sometimes... Grilling chicken sounds really good. It sounds really good tomorrow night. But then tomorrow, it's the next day, and you're like, no, I'm going to order takeout. Uh, I don't want grilled chicken. Like It just doesn't sound good tomorrow. You never know how things are going to change. And I think that's exactly why it is risky to assume these things. These next two are linked in my mind. So let's start with the first one here. Joe Bernstein says, this sounds dumb, but given that on average, only 31% of first-round picks sign a second contract with their team. Would it make sense if you're drafting outside of the top five or 10 to focus on trying to accrue a larger total volume of picks within the top 50 to 70 as possible, even if that means having zero first round picks? I said, I mean, if you can, uh, that's ideal. Uh, sometimes it's not the worst thing to kind of play your foot, pull the trigger and take a guy. But uh, no, I, I understand. I think maybe in a draft like this that has not a ton of top end talent and also just a lot of guys in between basically 
slotted between 15 and 60 that are kind of interchangeable, eye of the beholder, whatever term you want to say. And so I think that makes sense in that aspect, but I get it. I, I, I'm just saying, oh man, I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm just saying that sometimes there's an opportunity. Yes, that does make a lot of sense. And then sometimes it's just, no, just take a freaking guy because you like the guy. It's just all, it could be circumstantial. It depends on the draft too. Some drafts are loaded. The 2021 20, draft, all the talent in that draft, it's like, well, I don't really want to trade out 12 and, and get and keep kicking back because of all these other. Uh, well, it's it, interesting that you say 12, okay? Yeah. Because this happened last year. The Vikings did this. Vikings, that's right. And they went so back. Yes. The Vikings had the 12th overall pick yes, in last year's draft. They traded it to the Lions yeah. for 32, 44, and 66. That's right. And they gave 46 to the Lions as part yes. of this trade. And people freaked the fuck out. They were like, what are the Vikings doing? This is a trade made on a more modern trade value chart. Yeah. That's what this is. Uh, Richard Thaler was part of the study. They did it probably a decade ago. He, he's at the University of Chicago about how teams overvalue picks at the top of the draft. Mm -hmm. That is still true. Like if you look at the Jimmy Johnson chart compared to even like the Spielberger Fitzgerald chart mm -hmm. or the charts that the teams use, I think are probably even more so to this yeah. extent, is that the difference between the 12th overall pick and the 30th overall pick is not nearly as big as you think it is. Yeah. So I think that it absolutely would behoove more teams to just get two second round picks instead of a first round pick or a future second round pick as part of moving back. Like mm -hmm. this is good. Like it absolutely is worth doing this over and over and over again. The problem is I think a couple different things. It requires you take on some risk if you do that yep. because you, you're not picking in the first round. I think there's a public relations hit to be taken. You have to answer for it exactly what the Vikings had to do last year. And a lot of general managers or team builders in general are not in a position to operate this way right? because you have to win. Right. It's not about just accumulating future value. You have to make your team better in the short term in order to keep your job. Right. Howie Roseman operating the way that he does, where he can just kind of keep doing this and keep trying to accrue value in future years. Like fourth rebuild. Yeah. He has <laughs> job security that some people do not have. So right. not every team is operating on the same timeline. I think that's also important to understand. Well, that well, that's why, you know, the Patriot model, quote unquote, was always, well, they're always picking in the 20s and everyone's like, well, you know, trade back. They go, yeah, Belichick can do whatever he wants. He has carte blanche to do whatever he wants. So he can just do that. And not a lot of guys, they're just like, no, our window's open now. We're at pick 29. We came so close last year. We got to get another guy right now because if we trade back to kick it to the, kick the can to next year, like you said, the PR hits something you have to answer for. And that's what the Vikings had to go for the most. And then I'm just going to bring up the one last risk because I do agree with that is having more. There's usually only about a dozen, 10 to 15 true first round grades in a class. So once you get past that point, yeah, it's all just squinting and find the guy that you like is that the risk of that is too, is that they quote unquote gave up Kyle Hamilton that they might've taken there and he took Lewis scene and that's fine in a spectrum that they thought they were tiered the same, but the, this is, I'm just bringing it up and I'm not saying that they were wrong in doing this. This is the negative of that is that Hamilton had a nice rookie season and seen you know, battled injuries and everything. So that's, that's the other trade-off too, is just, even if you think that they're tiered, it might not shake out that way. We have a few other good questions. We're running out of time, though. The one I did want to get to. Stefan from Germany says, I'm from Germany and relatively new to football, so your podcast really helps. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. He said, John Boyce made me a Falcons fan, which is hilarious. <laughs> so I was wondering, which rebuild between the Panthers and the Falcons do you like more? Is it better to build up a strong roster and then look for a quarterback, or you do, do you need to go after a quarterback as soon as possible? This is a very simple question, but one that I really like. I'm glad you threw this in because this actually – this cook my noodle a little bit. 
Um, I don't, I really don't know. I, I think building up the roster and dropping the quarterback in is the ideal situation. Ideal. Yes. Ideal. If you are afforded that time Correct. and afforded that path, I do think that is ideal. And yes. I think the fact that the Falcons and Arthur Blank have afforded Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot that path is a, a nice little bit of luck. It's, it's a nice little thing that has happened for them. They actually, by taking those jobs where they are in such dire straits cap-wise and rebuilding the whole team, moving on from it actually helped them give more time. As long yeah. as they got promised that from Arthur Blank, he didn't come in and go, whoa, we got to win 10 games next year. What are you guys talking about? We let It was almost they were in such a tough situation, it gave them more space to do this. You mean unlike the team in Carolina where they went out and signed Teddy Bridgewater immediately because they're like, we got to be good right away. <laughs> That's so I, 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 my answer to this was it's funny because the Panthers didn't really act like they're in a rebuild. <laughs> they kind of just trickled their way into a rebuild or a reshuffle, I should say, a revamp. And then they became a mid-tier team. They just decided to take the dip and finally do this now. It's kind of funny. They, it was an inadvertent rebuild that they did. And now they have a good roster. Look at that. I don't think it. You have to go one way or the other. No. Like I, because I don't think the Panthers started from square one, right? Like they're not dropping a quarterback into a really bad situation. So I think this is another example of just knowing when is the time to go get it, right? And I think that the Panthers. I don't know if this was ideally the right time. Like you're going from nine, you have to give up a ton to go get that guy. You have to trade your number one receiver in the process. Like there, are, and you now have less draft capital to build around a guy. Let's say it's CJ Stroud, and you don't think his ceiling is quite as high as an Anthony Richardson. Now you have fewer assets to build up that guy on the rookie quarterback contract than you would have otherwise. The way that like the Eagles could build around Jalen Hurts, for example. But at the same time, they still knew we have to go do this at some point. Right. Like eventually we have to try to figure this out. We can't get back on the the quarterback carousel that we've been on, the one that Frank Reich and that we have done consistently over the years. At some point you want to get off that thing. So I don't think it has to be at the beginning or the end. I think that there's has to be the point where you understand this is the right time for us to do this. Well, and that's that's why it's interesting too, even with the Falcons with Ritter and their decision with that, is that they kinda they found a half measure that actually makes sense. Because it's like, he, okay, we, they think he's going to be competent enough to make everyone else kind of, we know what we're getting, I guess is a good way to put it. And then we can decide, okay, no, we got to go full measure and get a guy in the top five. Or they just go, oh, actually, this worked out. Cool. We fell into that. It's Again, I'm just saying that. like, But the they're another one of those started. teams. Pardon? They could run into an issue doing this. Yes. Yes. It, it is very possible that they're going to be like 9-8 this year yep. and be like, oh, Desmond's okay, but yep. we probably need more out of this. And potentially, they don't have a path to do it. Yep, because they're now in the, stuck in the middle ground of the NFL, <laughs> which is – and what we talked about, though, is that how many of those teams had to make the big moves up to the top 10. I love the like, – you broke it down, all the guys, the Josh Allen trade, Mahomes, Deshaun, like all those guys, teams moved up. Mm-hmm. Big time for them. But then again, that takes comfort level in doing that because you have to be really trust the rest of your situation that it's going to work out because, again, there's no more opportunity cost than investing in a young quarterback and then you, he sucks because <laughs> then, then you're fired. So, you know, so all, whenever you rip that bandit off and plant your foot, get north, whatever idiom you want to use, it's like that you have to have a lot of self-awareness of where you're at. And that's what's interesting with these teams. So answering the question. Yes. I think ideally in a vacuum – I would do it like the Falcons did, where I could m- focus on building up everything yep. around the guy and the quarterback could be the last piece of the puzzle where we drop him in. This is what the Chiefs did. 
Okay. This is exactly what the Chiefs did, where it's like, okay, this is it. I think the Bills, even though they traded up for the guy, they kind of did it at the beginning. Yeah. So I think that there are ways to do it. I have no problems with the way that the Panthers did it. And I think this was a chance to really make sure that you didn't fall into that quarterback purgatory any longer. But in an ideal world, I would do it the way that the Falcons did to answer his question. Yeah, I I would too. Uh, The other comparison that I had close to this is when the Vikings took, I've made so many references to this that it's actually a lot of fun. Uh, Vikings took Dante Culpepper in 1999. He, they got to sit the year, but they did that. They had an extra first round pick, uh, but they had such a good roster around them, offensive linemen, the receivers and everybody that they were able to let sit Dante and get that quarterback of the future. They kind of had that perfect circumstances for it. It was almost, it's kind of similar with the Alex Smith kind of Mahomes kind of thing as well. But that's another comparison where this worked out in the end. But short answer, if I'm just picking one, I would agree with you where I say I would do what the Falcons are doing, but it's, it's hard to have that time and that patience and that self-awareness to do it. All right. That's all we got. Really appreciate all the questions that you guys sent along. These are very fun to do. We should do them more. I know. I, we should just do more of them because they always inspire interesting conversation. They always yeah. get us going. So thank you to everyone who took the time to send in a question. I'm sorry we couldn't get to all of them. If it were up to me, we would do 200 of these. Unfortunately, we cannot. So really appreciate you guys doing that. We will be back on Monday, hopefully with our friend Dane, Blue, Dane Brugler. I think we're going to do some receivers from Monday. Uh, excited to talk to you guys about it. Uh, as a reminder, that three-man group is going to be coming to you at our live draft show in Kansas City, rounds one and two and three, Thursday and Friday night. We're going to be having live shows coming your way on our YouTube channel. Really, really excited about it. we got some bells and whistles that we have not had in years past, uh, really doing it up compared to what we have done in years past. So please be on the lookout for that. Mark it in your calendars. Be ready for it. Speaking of the YouTube channel, Nate today kicked off his new quarterback series with this year's quarterbacks with a breakdown of CJ Stroud. 10 minutes of strengths, weaknesses, fits, all that good stuff. We're going to be doing with all four of the top guys. We're going to have some more prospect-specific draft videos coming over the next month with some of our other draft staff at The Athletic. So now is the time. If you have not subscribed to, liked, been involved with the YouTube channel, now is the time because we're going to be doing all that stuff, and then the draft show is going to be happening on YouTube. So if you have not engaged with our YouTube channel up to this point, please go do that. The link to that is in the description of this podcast. With all 22 clips as well. So With all 22 clips. we got yes. real breakdowns of these guys. It's Very the excited to kind of kick off and introduce the next phase and the newest phase of what we're doing in the YouTube space. So excited for you guys to check that out. In the phase meantime. Th- phase three of the Athletic Football Show universe. That's, that, 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 <laughs> that's where we're at right now. <laughs> Listen, no one asked us to do any of this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We're masochists. <laughs> All right. As always, guys, we really appreciate you listening. We will be back on Monday with Dane. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you soon. This was the Athletic Football Show.